Take your Bible this morning, and we want to go to Isaiah chapter 40, the book of Isaiah, and the 40th chapter this morning for our text. We'll read just a few verses, starting with verse number 6, and then keep your Bible handy. We'll look at several others in just a moment in the message. But Isaiah chapter 40, and I'll begin to read with verse number 6, if you follow there in the scriptures as I read. The Bible says in verse 6, the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. When I was 10 years old, I was riding in the back seat of our automobile. My dad was driving, my mom was in the front, my sister and I were in the back. We were driving down Main Street of Watertown, Wisconsin. We were stopped at a stoplight, and I peered over the front seat of the car to the automobile just in front of us. On the back bumper, there was a bumper sticker that I will never forget. It's kind of an ugly, lime green colored bumper sticker with black letters. Had three words God is dead. God is dead. Throughout my teenage years growing up in the 60s, I remember seeing that bumper sticker almost every day. God is dead. I later discovered that that thinking, that philosophy came out of Germany through a man by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche believed that God had once existed but had died. When God died, all absolutes died. All morals died. All values died. Today, we see some of the ramification of that thinking, don't we? We see people that refuse to believe in God. 29% of Americans today claim to be atheists. The thinking is today that we don't need God. We don't need absolutes. We don't need truth. We live life as we see it in our own eyes. But I wonder, how alive is God in your life this morning? The world has decided they don't need God. The world has decided that God is of no value to them. But what about us? Did you talk to him this week? Did you hear him speaking to you? Did you think about him at all in the last seven days? Did you talk about him to anyone else? How alive is God in our lives? If I were to give you a piece of paper and a writing instrument this morning, and I would ask you to write down a definition of God, how would you define him? How would you describe God? How would you define God? 
Now, when we complete that assignment, we must look at it and ask ourselves a question. Does God believe in my God? Because if you were to walk out on the streets of Cleveland or any other city in America this morning and you were to say to people, who is God? You get a variety of answers. But God is not who I think he is. God is not who the news media tells us he is. God is not what is portrayed on social media. We meet God in the Bible. And when we get away from the word of God, we lose our proper understanding of who God is. As Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Isaiah said, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. In other words, if we're getting answers to spiritual questions from someplace other than the Bible, we don't have the right answer. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they've rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. There is no wisdom spiritually without the word of God. And God wonderfully in Isaiah chapter 40 defines himself for us. And I want you to notice three very important aspects about God's definition of himself. First of all, we see that God is above all. Look at verse 12. Let's read a little bit here in this chapter. Starting in verse 12, the Bible says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then? Will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh in him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Have it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Do you see how he's emphasizing over and over in this definition that God is above all? See, when we go to define God, when we go to write our definition, 
we say, well, he's like, and we compare him to something we've seen, something we've experienced, something here in, in this earth. But understand this morning that everything that we see, God created, God made. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. In six days, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. And Job said, I know it is so the truth, but how can a man be just with God? If he contend with him, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which calleth Arcturus and Orion and Pallades and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, in wonders without number. In chapter 12 of Job, he said, Ask now the beasts and they'll tell thee. Speak to the earth, it'll teach thee. The fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, yea, who knoweth not that in all these the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. I love the prayer of Hannah in First Samuel chapter 2. And verse 2, she said, uh, uh, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. And they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven. And she that hath many children is waxed feeble. For the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up again. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. And lifteth up the beggar of the dunghill. To set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the worlds upon them. The adversaries of the Lord should be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them until they be destroyed. For by strength shall no man prevail. You see, we're not as big as we think we are. Oh, man has cumulative knowledge today and man has all kinds of experiences and man can do this and man can do that. But we're not as big as we think we are. The solar system that we live in this morning is six billion miles across. Our galaxy, called the Milky Way, nobody knows where it got that name. I think it was when the cow jumped over the moon. That's when they named it the Milky Way. <laughs> but the galaxy, they tell us that we live in this Milky Way galaxy. If you could stand back in the universe and look at it from a distance, it would look like a giant bowl or a giant dish. Now, science tells us that if you could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second, now that's moving. I could go home, kiss my wife, come back, say the next word. If you could travel at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to cross this galaxy called the Milky Way. And scientists estimate there are a hundred billion galaxies like ours. Amen. 40 sextillion solar systems. The nearest star to us is the sun. 
The next nearest star is 26 trillion miles away. Our Earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It's 25,000 miles around this planet. The sun is 1,300,000 times bigger than the Earth. The supernova recently discovered has 10 septillion. Now we're getting into the big numbers. If you're taking notes, start way over on the left-hand margin because you're going to need a lot of space. 10 septillion is a 10 with 24 zeros after it. The supernova has 10 septillion times more energy in it than the hydrogen bomb. You see why David walked out one night and he said, The heavens declared the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines go out to the ends of the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Did you see what he said about the nations? Look back again at verse number 15. He said, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. In Bible days, if you went to a store to buy something, let's say you needed a pound of flour, you'd go to the market and you'd ask for this pound of flour and the merchant would take a a balance scale. Normally it would be sitting there on the counter. We don't use these types of instruments today, although the balance scale is still a symbol of our judicial system in America. You've all seen it, the post with the two arms, the chains coming down, little plates, a balance scale. Well, that's how they measured and weighed things in Bible times. And so if you went into a store, you said, I'd like a pound of flour, the merchant would ta- reach under the counter and he'd, he'd pull out a, a weight, a one pound weight, a 16 ounce weight, and he would put it on one side of that scale. And of course, the scale would tip in the direction of that weight. He then would take the flour or whatever you wanted and pour it into the other side of the scale. And when the scale was perfectly balanced, you knew you had a pound of flour. Well, there were merchants who were dishonest. And so you would walk in and you'd say, I'd like a pound of flour. And they'd reach under the counter and they'd take out a one pound weight or so you thought. But that weight they pulled out only weighed 15 ounces. It said a a pound, it said 16 ounces, but, but they'd put that 15 ounce weight on the scale. They'd pour the flour in. And package it up for you, and you thought you bought a pound of flour, but you only got 15 ounces. That's why the Bible says a false balance is an abomination unto the Lord. Divers' weights, various weights under the counter, divers' weights are an abomination unto the Lord. Quit ripping each other off. You're supposed to be honest in your dealings with people. But there were merchants who were honest. So how do you know the difference? Well, in the Old Testament, when you went into a store, if, if, if you had a, mer- a merchant who was honest, you know what he'd do? Before he'd put that weight on the scale or any flour on the scale, he would take out a little cloth. And as a gesture of his honesty, he would wipe the dust off of the balance. Now, dust doesn't weigh anything. At least you'd need a lot of dust to weigh anything, right? Dust doesn't weigh anything. But this was symbolic. He was saying to you, I'm going to give you an honest measurement. I'm not even going to charge you for the dust. 
So it was a gesture of honesty. And God uses that illustration here to say the nations are as the dust of the balance. We, we get so concerned about, oh, what's, what's America doing? What's Russia doing? What's China doing? What's going to happen? Look at verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing. They're counted him less than nothing and vanity. Put that big scale up here on the, on the platform. Make a big one. Get that big balance scale up here in your mind. And God says, all right, now, take all the nations, all of them, the big powerful ones, you know, Russia, China, America, take, take the big nations and, and take the medium-sized nations, the Canadas and the Brazils and the Japans and the Koreas, and, and then take the little bitty nations that you only hear about when the missionaries come, right? The, the little nations and, and put them all over here on this side of the scale with all of their military muscle, all of their intellectual uh, abilities and all of, their, all of their, their wealth. Put them all over here on this side of the scale, all the nations, he says. Then God says, put me over here on this side. And compared to me, they are below zero. Less than nothing. Where does that put me? In verse 22, he said, the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, in the sides of the north, the city of that great king. He's the true God. He's the living God. He's the everlasting king. He is above all. But notice, secondly, he's aware of all. I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about God, and I start thinking about how powerful he is, and how majestic he is, and how, how awesome he is, I think, well, he doesn't care about me. I mean, a God this powerful, this mighty, this creator God, he, he doesn't care about me. I'm one of eight plus billion people on the planet. He didn't care about my aches and pains. He didn't care what the balance of my checkbook is. He doesn't care about my relationships. He doesn't care if I'm saved or not. He doesn't care if I'm right with him or not. He doesn't, he doesn't worry about my prayer requests. But we're wrong. We're wrong. Look at verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. God is aware of all. When you think about creation... You have to think about the big things because they're kind of they're impressive. They kind of stand out and you, you gravitate toward those main statistics about nature and science and all these things. And it, it, it just kind of blows our mind when you think about the, the vastness, the, the hugeness of what God has created. But as you do that, you also have to realize there's a lot of detail to that creation. It is the atom that makes up matter. Matter 
is made up of atoms. But the atom is so small, you can't even see it under a microscope. All you're seeing is the reflection of the atom. In fact, I'm told if you take 100,000 atoms and lay them side by side in a single file line, the distance of 100,000 atoms will cross the width of a human hair. And yet inside each one of those tiny little atoms is a proton, neutron, and electron. Guess who put them there? Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them doth not fall to the ground without your heavenly father. Do you realize that not one bird will die today on this planet and fall to the ground in death that God will not attend the funeral? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Details. You all know that our earth is tilted on its axes. Whenever you see a globe, it's always tilted slightly. They tell us that our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space. In fact, I'm told that if our earth was tilted just one degree, one direction, we'd all freeze to death. If it was tilted one degree the other direction, we'd all burn up. So our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle in space so that life can inhabit this planet. Now, as you think about that, that, that globe over at the school library or, or uh, uh, maybe uh, on your desk or in your home, that, that globe it's on a stand. There's something holding it there. You can go up and give it a spin. It goes around, and, and, and it's, it remains at that tilt, that angle. But Job 26, 7 says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle, but it's hanging on nothing. And remember, it's also spinning. Once every 24 hours. Exactly once every 24 hours. And while you think of the fact that it's tilted at an exact degree of angle, hanging on nothing, spinning every 24 hours, it's also revolving around the sun. Details. I don't know if we'll see the moon tonight. It may be cloudy, but the moon is situated in an exact position from the earth. In fact, if our moon was situated just 100 miles further away from the earth, we would have no tides. If we had no tides, we'd have no seasons, no fall, winter, spring, summer. If the moon was situated 100 miles closer to the earth, we'd have no land. We'd be covered with water. Details. Did did you note that God has the hairs of your head all numbered? We think, wow, God knows how many hairs are in my head. That's amazing. Now, he doesn't know how many. He has them all numbered. Every hair on top of your head, every eyebrow hair, every eyelash hair, every, every whisker hair, God has them all numbered. When you took your shower this morning, that hair went down the bathroom drain. That was number 39. <laughs> you need to be more careful. <laughs> They're all numbered. Details. Your body has 203 bones in it. You have 600 muscles. You'll find some when you start raking your leaves in a couple weeks. 
In fact, I'm using exactly half of my muscles right now. It takes exactly 300 of your muscles to be operating efficiently and effectively for you to be able to do the simple task of walking. We have 970 miles of blood vessels running through our bodies, taking oxygen, nutrients to our our tissues, to our flesh. We have 600 million air cells as we breathe air into our lungs. We have over a thousand nerves in our body. We have, we have, we, 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 we have 10,000 hairs inside each one of our ears. This should be an encouragement to some of you. Some of you look like your wife married you for the waves. Now all that's left is the beach, but that's okay. I like what one fellow said. He said, this is not a bald spot. This is a solar panel. <laughs> Maybe that'll work for you. But I'm told if just one of those little hairs, one of those little strings becomes damaged in my ear, my hearing is affected. We have over 4,000 taste buds on our tongue so that we can discern between sweet and sour and bitter. We have 3,500 sweat tubes for every square inch of skin on our body. Now, some of you young people, some of you teenagers and, and singles, you need to be writing some of this down. I see you're not taking notes. You should be writing this down. And I'm telling you, you're going to have that first date. And you think you have a lot to talk about till about 30 seconds into it. And then there's this awkward silence. And you don't know what to say. And you need information. You need data. This is good stuff here. Because in that awkward moment, you can look over and say, those are the most beautiful sweat tubes I've ever seen in my life. But as gross as that sounds, it's those sweat tubes that allow our skin to breathe, that allow us to adjust to various temperatures and altitudes and and survive. We take in 4,200 gallons of air every day as we breathe. Our heart beats 2,400 times every hour and pumps 12 tons of blood through our body every day. And we don't even think about it. We get up, we, 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 we shower, we get ready, we go, get dressed, we go to work, we come home, we eat, we go to sleep. And, and we don't even worry about any of this stuff until something breaks down. And God keeps it all going for us. Why? Because of the details. And you don't think he knows if you're saved or not? Amen. He's got every hair in your head numbered. And you don't think he knows about the sin tucked away in the secret corner of your life, friend? You think somehow we're fooling him? Thou hast set our iniquities before thee. Our secret sins are in the light of his countenance. Oh God, thou knowest my foolishness. My secret sins are not hid from thee. If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, will not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed from the housetops. Why? Because neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight. But all things are open and naked under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Friend, he's aware of everything. He knows that burden this morning. He knows that unspoken prayer request in your heart. He knows that physical need, that emotional need, 
And he knows that spiritual need, friend. He's aware of all. But I love these last three verses. They're favorite verses of many. Because they revealed to us finally this morning that he's able to do all. Look at verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God is above all. God is aware of all. And God's able to do all. I love what Jeremiah said in chapter 32 and verse 17. Ah, Lord God. Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Do you believe that? Nothing too hard for thee. Abraham had trouble believing that. God came to Abraham when he was 99 years old. He said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Abraham was 99. Sarah was 90. God had made a covenant. God had made a promise. God had told them they were going to have a son. And that son was going to be the start of a, 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 of a nation. That, that, that Abraham was going to be the father of, of multitudes. That's what his name meant. Father of multitudes. But at 99 and 90, Sarah was barren. They had no children. And God says, you're going to have a son there in Genesis 18, verse 13. The Bible says that Abraham and Sarah, they laughed. I said, God, it's too late. You made a promise, but Lord, we've been waiting. Lord, it's a little late. I mean, I'm 99, Sarah's 90. We're, We're past the age of bearing children. What that meant is biologically, they knew it was impossible. I love verse 14. God said to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? In Genesis 21 and verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son at the set time of which God had spoken to him. See, with men it was impossible, not with God. With God, all things are possible. And when God makes a statement like that, he doesn't put a period there. He puts an exclamation point. Because he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. In fact, Isaac is born, isn't he? The son of the promise, Isaac. He comes into their lives and Isaac lives to be 40. And then Sarah dies. When Sarah died, she was 130 when she died. And when she died, Isaac was sad, of course. He was grieving. But Abraham noticed it was a little more than that. There was an emotional need in Isaac's life. There was a hole in his heart, his mother, whom he's known now for 40 years. And he's, he's emotionally kind of a basket case. And Abraham sees this. And he says, I know the need. Isaac needs a wife. Apparently Isaac didn't know that at 40. And so Abraham gets his servant. He says, we've got to get a wife for this young man. And you know the beautiful story there in Genesis 24. The servant goes and finds Isaac a wife. Beautiful story of God's 
sovereignty and God's will being displayed. And Now, it takes a while, so those of you that are single, just be patient. Genesis 24 is one of the longest chapters in the Old Testament, 67 verses. But the servant finds Rebekah, brings her back, and oh, it's love at first sight. Into that chapter, they go in, and the marriage is consummated. And the last verse, verse 67, says that Isaac was comforted on the death of his mom. Beautiful story. Well, we turn the page. Genesis 25, verse 1. Abraham, he's 139. He gets remarried to Keturah. Verse 2, they have six more kids. Boy, when God said nothing's impossible, exclamation point. At 99, they're saying, there's no way, God. It's too late. We're past the age. God said, no, 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 no. You don't understand who I am. I can do way more than you can anticipate. I can do way more than you can expect. You see, God is a God who's able to do all. Listen, friend, God can save you this morning. You might think, preacher, I, I just don't think you're... I, I don't think I can. I, I mean, I've been, I've been too far gone. I, I've been away from the Lord, and, and people prayed for me, and I've been under conviction before, but I just don't think God, God wants me. I, I just don't think I'm good enough, and I, I just think I've done too many bad things. Listen, Hebrews 7.25 says he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Friend, you have a pastor that's praying for you. You may have a mother that's praying for you. You might have a teenager that's praying for you. You have a God that's praying for you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You're one of all, and God wants all to be saved. Friend, you can be saved today. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and he'll save you. And Christian, there is no reason why anybody in this room should walk out a door with sin unconfessed. You say, well, I just, I got this stubborn habit, preacher, and I just can't lick it. I just... I just I, I, I just can't get it out of my life. I, I've tried. I, I, I've done everything I know. And it's just the way I am, I guess. It's just, it's just me. I, it's just been a part of me. And I, I, can't, I can't get rid of this sin in my life. Listen, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. We have no excuse. We have no reason to hang on to our sin. We have no reason to try to hide it and cover it and deny it and rationalize it and blame somebody else. We've got to come clean with God. Why? Because he's able. He said, if you will confess your sins, I'm going to be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord for he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Friend, if we're going to have revival, we've got to deal with sin. We've got to make sure there's nothing between 
And whatever that is that the Holy Spirit puts his finger upon today in our lives, we've got to get honest about it. We've got to get transparent with it. And we've got to bring it to God. And he promises to forgive. Friend, there's no burdens in your life that you can't give to the Lord. I know we've got them. We've got burdens. We've got cares. We're cumbered with life. But God says, casting all your care upon him. That word cast means to throw it. Throw it at him. Cast it on him. He cares for you. He was tempted in all points like as we. He feels every infirmity that we have, friends. He says we can bring it to him. We can give it to him. As someone has said, before you go to sleep at night, give all your burdens to the Lord. He's going to be up all night anyway. You don't have to live under that burden. Give it to the Lord. He's got this. He's in control. The nations before him are nothing. But he loves you. He loves me. And he has a plan for our life. He's above all. He's aware of all. He's able to do all. So what's left for us? To trust him. To say, Lord, save me. To say, Lord, direct me. Lord, forgive me. Use me. Lord, I'm yours. To trust him. Will you trust this God who defines himself as above all, aware of all, and able to do all?